So welcome to Deconstructing Health and Fitness with Chris Wilkins and Elizabeth Hefner. We're going to take a look at a lot of things going on in health and fitness today, and we're going to decide whether or not they're actually useful, whether they apply to you, or whether they're really taking you in the wrong direction. So over a decade of coaching, clients led me to believe that the only way for people to experience lasting change is for them to understand their habits and systems they have currently in place and move from there. I apply a scientific approach to that. We change a thing. We look at how it works. We decide if it's working or not, and then we change something else and we repeat. You can't just coach one aspect of health and fitness. You have to coach them all at once. Liz and Chris with Deconstructing Health and Fitness. Welcome back. <laughs> Welcome to the show where we um, get down to business, the business yeah. of you. Oh, wow. wow. I just threw up when I said that. Yeah, I got a little vomit in my throat. I don't know. <laughs> Okay now. So we are discussing me apparently, according to Chris. We said I was avoiding me and my life. Not really. You said I was just avoiding talking about me, which is fair because you were. It's it's rough to turn a mirror on yourself and just feel like, well, okay. So you said something like it's hard work. Because I want to preface that with like, I called you out on it because we were having a great discussion and you are a fantastic conversationalist. And I always appreciate that about you. But I also recognize it as a deflection of dealing with the fact (laughs) that you're kind of unhappy about some of the stuff, right? And we talked a little bit about it last week. And I think we made some pretty good progress actually with just kind of uncovering a few other underlying motivators for you. And I think I wanted to check in with you this week on that. That's why I said you know, I'm calling you out because you're clearly dodging talking about what we talked about last week because it is hard work and it's hard work showing up week after week and facing down your demons. That's not easy. And so like, you know, I say tongue in cheek, like I'm calling you out, but at the same time, like this is what accountability looks like and having somebody for you who really cares about your progress um, is they're going to continue to put you back into a place, a safe place to have uncomfortable discussions. Yeah. I feel safe. I feel safe. No, <laughs> no I feel triggered. <laughs> but no, but it's, okay. it's this is a thing, right? And you know, one of the things we talked about at this beginning of filming this podcast or recording this podcast was that we were trying to open up the coaching experience and journey to other people and what this is like, right? So this is a, a moment where we could just keep chatting about cool, interesting stuff that we both like and agree on, but we're really here to keep kind of chipping away at the changes that you want to make, right? So we talked a lot last week about, um, you know, things you've succeeded at that maybe you've lost in the rear view mirror. And we highlighted that. And then we had a couple of challenges for this week, but for what you were going to work on. So how'd that go? Well, first tell people what they were in case they didn't hear. Okay. So I have become very focused on not having extreme pendulum swings. Pendulum swing, um, for if you're just tuning in, pendulum swings are a good a, a good example of what one would look like would be, I'm going to be really good and just drink juice all week. And then by Friday, you're just like binging on like 12 pizzas because you just were like so deprived and unsatisfied all week. And you just kind of go somewhat bonkers. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really focused on not doing that because I have a history of pushing my pendulum really hard. So it backswings the other way. And I used to work within that framework by eating like 1200 calories a day. And then I had one off day and I would eat so much and things I didn't even want. And I would keep eating um, to the point where I'm just like, I hate this. And I, I would eat things I didn't even want just because I'm like, this is your one day. The infamous cheat day. The infamous cheat day, which would be like falls to the walls. It wouldn't be, it would just be like whatever I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be like, oh, I'm really going to enjoy this really awesome meal. It's just like, no, you know, this is your shot at freedom. And it was really about that freedom and that like giving myself that, um, giving myself that space to within that 24 hours. And I would do it like it would be 24 hours. Like it's midnight Um, (laughs) within that space to 
to kind of just allow myself to just would eat whatever I wanted or even didn't want. And then I remember the next day, the low was so bad and I would just feel so fucking depressed and so just so bad. And, and like, I hate my life and just so depressed because then I had to wait like another week to have that again. And also I felt awful about myself and guilty, like all the guilt would flood in and it was, you know, that didn't work. And one of the things you said throughout that was this whole, you on cheat day, you weren't even eating things you genuinely wanted. You were eating things you couldn't have because you could all of a sudden. And I think that's a really powerful concept in what we, what we're working on is this idea that there are off limit foods all the time. And that, you know, if you're given any amount of freedom with those off limit foods, you will clearly abuse them indefinitely and it will lead to utter catastrophe. And so what we're working on programming, um, like a reprogramming is the idea that like, there aren't off limit foods. There are foods that are more health promoting and foods that are less health promoting. And you get to have an array of these choices at all times, not just on specific days. And this all came up because you're now committed to a date for your wedding and you were all of a sudden feeling a bunch of pressure um, to look a certain way and lose a certain amount of weight by this specific date. And this is so often why people come to personal trainers or nutrition coaches or anybody who can help with weight loss is like, I've got this one day I've got to be ready for. Yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting because it's, it's super common and we all function this way, but it ignores reality, which is like, after that day, you still like, hopefully you're still breathing and doing shit. So like, what are you going to do the next day Yeah, <laughs> when that day is over and you've reached this, this timeline? So yeah. Um, how did, cause we, the other thing, and just one more thing I want to bring up, cause this is what I'm going to ask you about, um, is the idea of sustainability versus change. We talked a little bit last week also about how it's easy to decide that a change is too much because it's difficult and uncomfortable. And that leads you to staying the same, right? Because we are talking about creating and maintaining a sustainable lifestyle, but you have to make the change to get there. <laughs> like if you're not willing to make any change from where you are now, then you're going to stay where you are. So with that said, how did all of that last week's conversation impact your your thoughts and behaviors and well I focused a lot on what you said last week and I've been really getting into it and trying to do it correctly you said focus on where you want to go you know we 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 gave that that metaphor for you know if you're skiing or bike riding you don't want to crash into the tree so don't look at the tree and I caught myself so many times this week and I've been doing this for a very, very long time. I think about these times in my life where I felt really shamed about my body and my level or my level of fitness, my my weight. Um, and usually it was triggered by someone saying something or leaving me out of something, um, being rejected. And I've used that, I feel like as such a, in quotations, uh, motivating force like I'll think about like this this particular time that is like haunted me when I was a teenager and I was on these I was on these um these like anti-depression pills and I gained a lot of weight on them in a short period of time um I we had like this family friend and she and her daughter were like super super skinny and um, there was going to be like this youth group because she was like the leader of our church youth group. And she, um, they were, they were planning this youth group adventure where they were going to go whitewater rafting. Ooh. And, you know, I'd never done that. And my dad was talking to her about like, you know, including me on the trip. And I was in like the other room because we were over at her place. And she said, she said, oh, I don't know. You, you know, you really have to be, you have really have to be physically fit to be able to do that. Ooh. So basically rejecting me from hanging out with the other kids and I have never about your parents, right? Yeah. And I would, I had never, I've never gotten over that. Like, that's just one example. Obviously there's been more, but that's something that was so 
like the feeling of being like rejected flat out like oh we you know we can't have her come because obviously she couldn't possibly pull her own weight and we're gonna have all the other everyone else is invited um which was so fucking devastating and that's before that's actually right before probably a month to six months before um I actually became anorexic See, and it's an attempt to regain what you perceive as a loss of control, right? You didn't yeah. have control over those people's perceptions of you. And so what's the most extreme kick to your pendulum you could achieve to gain that control? And it's starving. Yeah. And I think it's worthwhile bringing up intermittent fasting into this too, because we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but I want to just like say one more thing around what we're talking about now. And one of the reasons we talked about you not doing it was because it can have the effect of kicking your pendulum in this exact way, right? A lot of times, and I see this, and it's not everybody, for some people, intermittent fasting really is a fantastic option and it just helps them manage their intake and it's totally emotion-free, but a lot of times, and I can actually think of a very specific example in my head where I had a client who was struggling with maintenance and self-regulation and it turned out she did have an eating disorder, um, And the next thing she did, because actually trying to deal with some of these deeper issues for her was too much at the time, she started intermittent fasting. And I find that it can unfortunately provide a fantastic cover for binge eating disorder. Because you have that window, you have that window, you can eat in that window as long as you stop eating at this hour. Right. And this is not all intermittent fasting protocols, but I I do see a lot of this and it's a really scary trend for me as somebody who works really hard to help people rebuild a relationship with food and their body that's health promoting. Um, Like it's a scary thing to see when it's literally like, oh, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm intermittent fasting. It's like, well, actually you're genuinely just starving for several days in a row and then eating anything you want. Like that's not, that's not the intent here. And so if you, if you are finding that intermittent fasting appeals to you. I mean, you listen, talking to, you know, the listeners, (laughs) but like, if you find that this is a thing and what I just said, kind of sent a cold shiver down your spine, it might be worth sitting down and having a real think about why intermittent fasting is appealing to you. Because is it about control or is it about genuinely finding a way to improve your metabolism and to take the next level um, with your eating and, and really have a protocol that you can follow long-term. So that said, with thinking about kicking that pendulum of yours again, and thinking about trying not to drive into the tree because you're not going to look at the tree, (laughs) what happened after a couple of days of noticing that you kept staring at the tree? So I just, being aware of it was already, I think, like a big step because I, all these times when I go on my hikes, um, Sometimes I'm not really quite sure what percentage is. I feel like I feel like 60%. I'm like, oh nature, I love you, nature. I love you, deer and trees. And I'm just like, yay. But then a good 40%, depending on like the day, week, whatever, a good 40% is reliving those old shaming memories that felt so traumatizing and so upsetting and just trying to use that as fodder to push me harder and be like, well, you don't want to feel like that again. You don't want people to to say that to you and you feel like that's true. Um, So how can I run from that? And just like constantly running from these memories and these feelings, like how can I get as far away as possible from that feeling, Um, which is basically focusing on that tree that you're, that you're trying to around drive around bike around it's hard to go forward if you're staring backwards (laughs) yeah and I I started thinking about like okay so like if a bear is chasing you you don't you probably just want to focus as much as possible on the trail ahead of you and well depending on the bear I mean you probably should just play dead that was a bad analogy I don't know if it's a bear you wait if it's a bear wait no if it's a bear you try to get big and loud most bears, if it's a grizzly bear, you play dead. You just give up. I was kidding. <laughs> you just give up on life. You're just like, fuck this. Was totally <laughs> Way um, sarcastic. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, you probably shouldn't run from bears. It's such a bad analogy, metaphor. I don't know. Um, if well, you're trying to run. The, it's one of the, <laughs> the topics. It's called running from the bear, isn't it? Is, you know, like this idea that you're constantly running away 
from yeah. this outcome. Or and if someone's is- chasing you and you're just like, you're, it's probably the best to just focus on how, like going as fast and as long as you can and not keep on looking back at them because you're probably going to end up tripping. <laughs> so I think what's interesting is like before we started recording, I told you the little story about the the metal supply shop I just visited, right? And I want to tie this in because this idea of running away from this negative experience that you've had always puts the onus of dealing with it on you and not on those people who were offensive to you or who underestimated your capacity. I mean, how the hell do they know whether you can whitewater raft or not? Just it's, that's just such a shit stereotype. Yeah. Right? And nowadays yeah. we power to say like, no, that's a shit stereotype. I don't fall into that. And the story I'm going to sell you is the story I just told you before, but nobody else heard it is I went to pick up these metal well covers for our basement windows and I ordered them and I communicated with the people at the thing and I went to pick them up. And at no point had anybody interacted with my husband or a male figure from my household. And after these things were put into my vehicle, the sales guy turned to me and said, if you if your husband has any trouble getting them on when you get home, just tell him to call me. Now, fun fact, I wasn't even wearing my wedding ring today because I just come from a massage. So he's making 17 assumptions here. Hey, he's assuming I'm straight. <laughs> he's assuming I'm married. C, he's assuming I can't do this myself or wasn't in any way responsible for it because it's obviously a man's job. And I have choices here, right, on how I'm going to react to this. And the thing I'm going to say is that as a younger female, I might have, you know, thought, wow, maybe I can't do this myself. Maybe I should get a guy's help. But that's not how 42-year-old grumpy Karen me responded. (laughs) And I just kind of looked at him and I said, oh, come on, guys. I thought we were past that. Like, at what point have you ever interacted with a man on this order? And like the three guys who had helped load it up were like, yeah. <laughs> and the one guy looked pretty sheepish about it. And I was like, I don't need a guy to put these well covers on. I'll call you if I have an issue. And the reason I'm pointing this out is not because I think I'm a badass, but because it's a difference in how you frame that situation that came into you right? Because you framed those people's comments about you as valid. You agreed in some way with what they said about you, or you feared that what they said was true. Therefore it got in, right? When you come from a place of self-worth and self-love, those comments don't affect you because that's that person's problem, not yours. You know, damn well, you could go whitewater rafting if you wanted to. And if they don't think you can go, well, screw them. You can go with somebody else. That's the that's where you want to be, right? Because yeah. you know that's true. I'd take you whitewater rafting in a heartbeat. You'd punch that water in the face. I have no doubt about it. I probably it. would. I probably would. If you could um, find I mean, you just <laughs> punch it anyway. And, and I think this is the point is like, you will forever in your lifetime find people who doubt you or are toxic or who have their own issues that have nothing to do with you that will say crappy stuff to you. And getting to a place in your adult life where that doesn't get in anymore mm-hmm. is a powerful tool. How do you get, cause <sighs> empathy. How do you get to that place? Empathy. How do you get to, how do you get to, it's like all these things are just so like, they're chasing me constantly. Uh-huh. And they're like, remember, remember that time. You don't want to feel like that again. Do you? And even now, like, it's hot out and I bought some shorts for running and for hiking and I am like sitting in them and I'm like mortified. I'm scared to fucking death to wear these shorts outside. Like I'm so fucking scared because I feel really self-conscious about my legs and I'm so fucking scared. And I have to like, I'm just sitting here like, I don't think I can do this. I mean, that's a whole nother kettle of fish, isn't it? (laughs) But it is, it's like the same. It's like, it's like if someone says something or if I perceive that they looked at my legs and thought these thoughts, which I'm sure will happen no matter where the person's pretty much looking or what they're thinking, I'm gonna, I feel like I'm just gonna like latch onto that and be like, oh, see, nope, cover it up. So, oh, this is a fun one. Ready? (laughs) (laughs) 
So here's the thing again, right? That approach to it, like let's play the empathy game for a second. Let's do it this way. If you're a person wandering around in the woods and you see another person wandering around in the woods, like what are you likely to assume about that person? Like what are your first thoughts? I guess I'd have to say it really depends on the situation. Depends on what the person looks like? It depends on what the person looks like. It depends on how they're behaving. Okay. That's a perfectly reasonable response, right? So the question then becomes, are you sure that what you assume somebody else is thinking about you is actually what they're thinking? What if that person that you see out in the woods has lost 200 pounds and they see you in shorts and they are thinking, awesome, I'm so glad to see another tall woman wearing shorts and being proud. I wanna high five her because that makes me feel better. How do you know that that's not what they're thinking? How do you know that they're 100% thinking something bad because they looked at you? Maybe they're looking at you thinking like, wow, her legs are so long, I'm so jealous. I don't know because of what the media has told me. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> and also, like, I do have a problem. I get really irritated when people, um, when people almost like they think they're being complimentary, but they'll, you know, I've seen people do this to larger people where it's just like, good for you, good for you for not being completely ashamed and apologetic about your body, good for you. And it's like, fuck you, I didn't what the fuck? Like, or, right. you know, um, you know, like if, or if you're like, working, let's say somebody said that to you, right? What does that say? Not about you. What does that say about them? That they're a fucking asshole. No. <laughs> oh, empathy game. Oh, empathy, empathy game. game. <laughs> um, maybe, but in the empathy game, we don't get to play. We don't get to use that card. <laughs> I'm like really struggling with having any empathy for this made up person who's saying these things that trigger me to the point of like not wanting to leave the house. Right. And this is exactly why playing the empathy game here is important because you've got a narrative about what other people view you as and what other people are going to say. And it may mm-hmm. not be remotely true and you don't know. And because you're making those assumptions is holding you back from doing things you want to be doing from hiking in the woods in a pair of shorts. Like you don't know what that next person that you see is thinking. And even if they are thinking something negative and nasty, what does that say about them, right? Like the person who comes across another human being in the forest and the first thing they think is like, oh shit, she shouldn't be wearing those shorts. How does that person feel about her own body? Probably pretty shitty. And the fact like not to throw women under the bus, but I've only ever heard women talk shit on other women for wearing like a particular outfit or shorts. I yeah. almost never hear that from men. Men don't wear um, like cool flesh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I remember the last time I was with this girl and she was just, she was in by, by no means small or, you know, thin or anything, but she was looking at these other women. There was like this woman who was bigger and she walked by with shorts and she's like, oh, she should not be wearing those. And they were probably like not that different in size. And I mean, obviously that was a judgment on her, you know, being like, I wouldn't wear those. Right. And this is what I'm driving at. Do you get it yet? You want me to <laughs> do one more round or you want me to just give it to you? Um. I feel like there's this really disgusting thing in our society, um, which it just popped into my head, like almost like this belief, like you have to, so disgusting. It makes me want to like throw up and punch the wall, but it's like, you have to earn the right to wear fewer clothes. Yeah, there's definitely that as a cultural issue here. And you know, what's fascinating about that is that there's a culture, many out there, where the literal opposite is true, where it's like, you're not wearing very many clothes. Like, oh, what's wrong with your self-worth? You know? Like, yeah. 
For sure, so, for sure. <laughs> so this is the point though. This is why the empathy game and the put yourself in the other person's shoes game is so freaking powerful is because you are, are absolutely, and I don't mean you personally, I mean like humans can only function within their own framework that they know and understand and are comfortable with, right? But the good news is like, that's malleable. You can change that. You don't have to continue believing the same things. You don't have to continue looking at other women and being like, what the heck was she thinking when she walked out the door? And Lord knows there are definitely people that you see and you're like, wow, how did that come out? Like I, we saw a guy the other day, he was driving, it was just me actually, my kid wasn't with me that day, but he was wearing a Rossifarian hat with an elephant umbrella, riding a bike. in these huge MC Hammer pants. And he was the happiest fucker I'd seen all day. And it was like dangerous. He's driving on this big road and the umbrella, the wind's blowing and he's almost falling over. And I didn't look at him and think, what an idiot. I thought, how did that come about? Like, <laughs> what was the process by which you My- morning, put that outfit <laughs> together, got on your bicycle, decided to open your umbrella and drive down the road? Like, why all of those things at once? Why? That's fascinating. Like, how did you? That's so funny. That, right? I can tell how my empathy level is not very high right now because my immediate thing is like, obviously, that person's really pathetic because they're desperate for attention and they're probably narcissistic and they're like, look at me, look at me. And I find people like that gross who are like, you have to look at me, look at me. I'm just like, shut up. But my point is, you don't know that that's what he was thinking. You don't know that. And he could have been a clown on the way to a party. This is that could have been his workout. I want you. This is literally what I want you to do all week this week. Is literally every person you see and you make any judgment about. I want you to come up with two totally separate stories about that person. This is like my favorite game. Do you not play this game? I love. Oh, I not the separate stories, but I get this from my parents. Like my parents will have an encounter with someone or see someone doing something and they'll create like a whole life backstory they just did this weekend when I visited them there's whole life backstory and I'm like that was a lot of energy (laughs) (laughs) but the more you play this game and the more creative you can be with it the more you realize how many possibilities there are for whatever that outcome is over there Mm. a million possibilities there's a million like frameworks for thinking and acting and believing that are out there and you cannot possibly know what anybody else's is like. You can't. Yeah. And therefore whatever judgment they pass on you is totally invalid because of the fact that they don't function on the same reference points as you and they don't have the same framework as you. So how can they be an accurate judge of you? Only you can be an accurate judge of you. Unless you're religious and then you've got a God problem that you've got to worry about him. But like, if you're not religious or you're narcissistic and you can't like see yourself for who you are. And that's possible too. But I mean, this is, this is why this game I think is so powerful in helping you change this, this narrative of fear of rejection. Because rejection only comes from other people's um, it's an external thing, right? It's, it's not unless you're rejecting yourself. Ooh. I feel like I kind of am like when you said to me, I think last week you were, you were saying like, you know, it's okay to want to lose weight before your wedding, but it's also okay to just feel like this person's we're marrying each other because we're in love and I don't need to lose weight. Like I don't, you know, it's like a worthiness thing. Um, He He didn't say, he didn't say when you lose, pick a number. 20 pounds when you lose 20 pounds I think you'll be ready to be married to me yeah I would kill that person of course you would because it's a dick (laughs) thing to say um I don't believe in murder but I would kill that person (laughs) (laughs) right and we we can hold these conflicting beliefs at the same time you can believe that marrying Andrew is awesome and that you really love each other and that everything is awesome and you can also believe you're unworthy of that at the same time it's really annoying Sorry. Yeah, it is really annoying. And I don't feel, oh, yeah. I don't, it's so hard to feel, what? Not all your beliefs are true. That's why it's a belief and not a fact, right? Like, yeah. It's so fucking, it's so fucking 
troubling. Like this week, I was also looking at meetups because I'm like, okay, it's time to meet people. And inside I'm like, ew. But I'm like, don't you want things to do? And I'm like, yeah. So I found one where they were going to go um, like indoor rock climbing. And I was cool. like, so cool, even though I'm really fucking scared. But then I just felt like I can't because I'm so much heavier than everyone else. I'm going to be like by far the tallest female and I can't ask people to belay me. You don't know that. You're making an entire narrative up about a situation you haven't even been in. You don't know. Yeah, that. but it seems it seems logical. Of course it does. But that's, <laughs> you don't know that. And I, you know, I'm just gonna keep calling it out because you know, my experience of trying a new thing I'm really afraid of and feeling like an outsider is if you show people that and you're like, oh, I'm really nervous about this, people are so helpful. They're just excited. You want to do the thing they think is really cool. They're like, oh, you want to rock climb? Cool. I'm going to teach you how, and I'm going to give you this piece of equipment and I'm going to give you this tip. And then you're just not going to be able to shut people up. That's the reality of what typically happens when you show up to a new thing, right? People don't, yeah. even unless it's like a really old school bodybuilder gym and you show up and you're like, I'm going to lift weights. And they're like, good luck. You're a woman. Bust out their guns. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. Those places exist. I'm not going to say they don't. Yeah. But the likelihood of that being a rock climbing gym, again, empathy game. What do rock climbers, if you want to play the stereotyping empathy game, what do rock climbers typically embrace as a philosophy? Like, are they keep, really elitist? Keep, go, keep looking up. Sure, right? Keep looking at what you're doing. I don't fucking know. Right. <laughs> Show up and find out. Rock climbing looks so, so cool, but it's so, it looks so terrifying. Also, all yeah. the rock climbing females, I'm sorry, but they are like 5'2". Well, okay, but like really, really successful rock climbing females are 5'2 and 90 pounds because it is incredibly hard to pull yourself up by your fingers. <laughs> yeah, that, and then that makes me feel like, fun. yeah, what do you, I feel like I've always been attracted to these sports where I'm like, that's not, I love gymnastics. Um, I I just, I just, mm, now I'm just like shoving you're going to be like, huh? I don't fit into the the gymnastics. Story. I just want to be a ninja warrior, but none of the female ninja warriors are like tall and big. They're always like ex-gymnasts who are like tiny as fuck. But you're going from <laughs> zero to professional. I know. Like, can we go from zero to recreationally enjoyable first? No. Why? Yes. yes. No. No. Yes. I'm from California. No. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But no. Uh, no. Yeah, but no. Yeah, but no. Uh, it would be nice to be able to do something and not be, to be able to have the idea of rock climbing and not be absolutely fucking terrified or going to like um, a workout meetup and not be like scared. Who says you don't have to be scared? Like, be scared and go anyway. <sighs> if you're waiting to not be scared, it's going to be a long time. <laughs> Probably like no. the only thing I would feel confident about is if they were having like a fighting meetup, because then I'd be like, yeah, I'm sure I can dominate all the other women. <laughs> <laughs> and I could probably dominate some of the men too. You ever see Into the Woods? The musical oh, that got totally Yeah, I hate that musical. musical. I actually directed, I directed, not obviously not the movie version, but I directed that musical. I fucking hate it. <laughs> okay, I know. I remember you telling me you hate this musical, but I'm going to bring up, it's like you hate Frozen too, but Anna had some shit that was useful for you. So I'm going to tell yeah. you about some shit little Red Riding Hood said in Into the Woods, right? She, you know, she ends up getting eaten by the wolf in Into the Woods. And then like the the James Corden guy, whoever, whatever character he is, comes along and cuts her out of the wolf. You don't see any of that, obviously, because ew, and impossible, but whatever. Let's just suspend that disbelief for a moment. So she comes out and she starts singing him this song about like the wolf and how, you know, she took this risk and she, and she says this one line, she says, well, he made me feel excited. Well, excited and scared. And what yeah. I want to say about that is like excitement and fear are the same side or two sides of the same emotion. And you get to decide which one you're feeling. Mm. So are you excited to go rock climbing or are you afraid? I'm terrified. 
<laughs> you must be really excited then. And I'm also kind of like, it finally took that one rock climbing experience I had at an REI to oh. be like, oh shit, I'm scared of heights. Yeah, it's freaking scary. I'm scared of heights. <laughs> I didn't realize I was that scared of heights though. But it's facing that down. It's facing that fear down. You're in a safe environment. There's somebody with a rope. And even if you just like spin around on the rope for 20 minutes, like nothing bad's <laughs> going to happen to you. you that sounds like more fun. You know, like that's what's going to happen. And yeah. getting to the place where like the fear isn't controlling your action and the facts are controlling your action is a huge, huge, huge step towards changing this narrative and also improving the empathy game. Yeah. And it would also be a good step towards look where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. I want to rock climb, show up and do it. Who cares what anybody else in that gym thinks of you showing up that day? They don't know where you're going to go with it. They don't know where you've been. They don't know any of that. And if they're making assumptions and they're assuming all over you, it's their problem. It's not yours. Yeah. You're a grown ass adult. You can go anywhere you want. Anywhere? Mm, well, not right now. I'm only trying to come up with saying like, well, really, Chris? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Where can I go? <laughs> hey, Layla. No, one second. Can you deal with Pip? I think he's going to knock those off of the thing. He's got something stuck behind that vase. Oh, naughty. What kind of flowers are those? Gorgeous. They're gladiolas. I just got them at Trader Joe's. Oh, my God. I love I them. Gladiolas. Well, okay, but nothing else. Oh, you can't just go. So anyway, I mean, I think what we're talking about is kind of at this point in time, your fear of hitting the tree is holding you back from riding the trail. It's also taking away like any momentum because as soon as I start running away from those feelings and those thoughts, my energy completely plummets and I'm like, what's the fucking even point like for this? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. 100% of the time telling yourself you suck is the known worst way to accomplish something. <laughs> you suck so hard. I don't see why you're not getting better. <laughs> I'm still motivated now. Thank you for telling me how much I suck. Like everybody knows that works. <laughs> I think it's funny that I still have to tell, like I still have to subtly put into people's brains. I'm like, I do really well with positive motivation, not negative, not negative feedback or like, like, you know, constructive feedback where you're like, oh, okay, that's an action I can take. But if someone's yes. just like, I don't see why you suck so hard. You really just need to do better. Why do you suck? Like my, my old opera teacher used to do a lot of that. And that it just made me shut down. I could feel my body shutting down, my breath turning off, getting really, really tight. And it would just make everything so much worse. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? This is not helping. Read your fucking audience. So why do you do it to yourself if you know it doesn't work for you? Do you need to write that note to yourself? Like, I mean, that's so such a douchey thing to have to do. I mean, you might as well keep a keep a gratitude <laughs> journal at that point. Just be like, Liz, Liz functions best on positive reinforcement. Please avoid <laughs> giving her negative feedback that isn't productive. Thank you, Liz, and sign it Thank yourself. You. And just like literally, like this is it. It it feels. Um it feels automatic. So it just feels like it's going to need to like being aware of, Hey, you're looking at the tree again. You don't want to crash into that tree. Do you? Because you're kind of looking at it a lot being aware. It's so automatic. Like I just get, I just get like swamped with these memories and then all the feelings as if they're happening right at that time, because I guess that's what your brain really does when you're having a, a memory or a fantasy, your brain is like, yes, this is real in a way. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I guess the double-edged sword of being human and having the ability to perceive the past and the future, right? You know, one of the things they say, and who knows if this is true, because we haven't studied this really in any adequate way, but they say anim animals live in the now, you know, and that's why they just react. But I think that's crap because you can see trauma on dogs. You can see how trauma affects animals long-term. You know, like mm -hmm. I have a, a cat who had some pretty serious trauma in her youth and she got trapped somewhere for months and she came out, she's two pounds and we didn't know she was going to make it. And I'll tell you what, that cat's a lot more wary of enclosed spaces than she used to be. 
Yeah. Like, mm, no. <laughs> I don't see how you could think that animals don't have trauma. Like they don't understand or experience trauma. That doesn't. Yeah. Well, how long does their memory go? Nobody knows, right? How far forward can they think? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. How do you test that? You can't talk to them, right? So how do you set tests up for that? I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to figure it out at some point, but right now that's not a thing. And so when you when you're trying to undo a pattern like what you're trying to undo I'm going to come back to it's the now moment that matters the most like what's the next action you can take so like what's an action you can take right now that puts you into that space of showing up somewhere that's a little bit scary like are there five places you want to go that you've thought of there are How many places you got that you would like to go that you've thought of like right now sure I'd like to go hiking. Great. Although the sun's going down pretty fast. Okay. What else? That's one. Uh, Doesn't have to be right there, now to go, but like that you want to achieve. And there's a workout. There's a workout group that meets at six thirty a.m. every other week. Okay. And I kind of want to go there, but I okay. keep on using the excuse of like that sounds really exhausting when you have to work at nine. Um, I want to check out rock climbing. I want to check out, I actually want to check out a gym again because I feel like I am not really making a lot of progression with my weightlifting. Okay. That's four. Uh, I can't think of another one. Here's my, here's my like really, really scary challenge. This is big. Okay. I want you to schedule all five of those things. Hiking is now easy. Because yeah. I want to refresh your memory about when you were starting to go hiking, you were like, I don't have the right clothes and I'm going to be alone in the woods. And what if I fall? And you had all of these things. And I was now so scared of ticks. I'm scared. That was it. I forgot about the ticks. Yeah. You had all of those things that were holding you back and you're on the other side of it now. Hiking is easy. Schedule the hiking first. So we're going to get off this podcast in five minutes so that you don't lose all the sunlight and you can go for a hike. Hiking, easy. What's the second easiest thing to schedule? Probably checking out the gym. Great, do that. Okay, what's the third easiest thing to do? I mean, going to the one of the meetups, probably the 6.30 a.m. one. Fantastic. What's the next one that's hard? And then the, the rock climbing one. Okay, so that's four, right? So you start with the easy one, the hiking. That's a positive momentum thing. You already know you can do it. You do it regularly. You've overcome obstacles to be able to do it regularly. The next one feels a little less comfortable, but you have some things in your wheelhouse. Like you're a certified personal trainer for Christ's sake. Show up at a gym and do what you know how to do. Yeah. I mean, it's mostly like, how do I feel being in a gym after quarantine? That's actually the fear Uh, thing. Okay. Like, can I, can I, will I feel incredibly uncomfortable? there's a lot there's so many fucking things i feel like maybe i'll just work on going out in my shorts right now (laughs) no i want you to put all four on here and i want them to escalate because i want you to see that you can overcome any of these things if you break it up so like this week is okay next week is the gym the week after that is the meetup and the week after that is rock climbing so you've got four weeks to ramp up to the thing you're the most scared of Okay, I can handle that. I thought you meant do all four in one week. And I was like, shit. No, give yourself time <laughs> in the space, right? Build yeah. successes. And I'm not, you don't okay. have to stick to this, right? It doesn't have to be these specific things. But four weeks from now, I want you to take on something that right now you're pretty scared about because you're trying to build the opposite narrative of these fears that I have are not rational. And actually, when I show up, I do great and this situation is okay. Yeah. Yeah. And make these changes. Here's how I'm going to do it. I've got a plan. I know what I'm going to execute on and I'm going to go do it now. And that's all. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to look at the tree. I'm not going to listen to all those reasons why I'm going to fail. Who cares? Show up. Show up. Show up. Oh, and also I want to say for Father's Day, um, I took my dad to this a fancy Italian bakery because he was buying like 50 cent Walmart pies, like little ones. And I was like, dad, 
And so I like bought a bunch of pastries for some gluten-free for my mom and, you know, for my dad. And we all had some in the car and I felt like, okay, I'm just eating some of this with him. And I felt, I felt kind of at peace about that. Like, okay, I allowed myself to have that. And now I'm like, now I'm done with it and I don't want any more. Magical. That felt good. That felt like. Yeah, that felt good. I was very, I was just very aware of like this desire to like shame myself and be like, well, I guess you fucked up this week, didn't you? (laughs) You know, because it was creeping. And I was like, you know what? I had some pastry. Okay. And then I also, and then I had a freaking salad with, with smoked ahi tuna. Ooh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, both of those things sound nice, right? Yeah, they were good. They were good. But, you know, the pastry wasn't like, I was like, okay, I've had some now. I don't want any more. And it just felt like, you know, some of the power was taken away. Tell David Bowie all about it. Huh? Tell David Bowie all about it. You have no power over me. (laughs) Yeah, David Bowie, he has some power over me. I mean, he does. I'll I'll say that. I'd be all like, you can be my goblin king. Um, <laughs> shit, I'll stay here in this labyrinth with you with those tight, tight pants. That hair, though, that must have taken him forever every day. I don't know. I love that crazy rock glam, rock mullet thing. Really? That was, you know, I think, I think it, it's, I rem. okay. <laughs> I was so obsessed with the labyrinth. And I was really in love with David Bowie from a very young age as Jareth, the Goblin King. And I remember seeing him then not in that outfit and that makeup and being like, oh, I'm not that into, I'm not that (laughs) into, you know, it it was the, I don't, what the fuck is that? I was just really into that character. Well, and that's fine. I mean, unfortunately, that character reminds me a lot of my dad. So for me, not such a turn on. My dad had that hair. (laughs) <laughs> your dad had that hair with the sparkle? oh my god my dad was totally in a hair band like oh my god i didn't know that yep wow because yep. i used to end up at like <laughs> this is totally irrelevant to the podcast but like i grew up in many many different bars with many pool tables which is how i got through college because <laughs> i was able to pretty seriously shark some pool uh, thanks to being able to play when I was six at these crappy dive bar concerts my dad would play. So there you go. Wait, what did he play? Uh, his, this is, if I remember correctly, and maybe if my sister listens to this, she will correct me, but I'm pretty sure his band name was Dawkin and not the famous one. Okay. They were a cover band. They were not famous. It was not that, but, but what it, essentially the name of the band was Dawkin. Did he play or or sing or sing and play? He sang. He was the lead singer. Um, okay. But sometimes he played the guitar. But that was the, you know he would have said that was a bit beneath him. He was that guy. <laughs> That's beneath <laughs> me. Yeah, this is probably the only time anybody will ever hear me talk about my dad. I don't talk about my dad super a lot because yeah, yeah, yeah. If he was like Jared the Goblin King, I mean, he was pretty controlling and abusive and oh, well, uh, personality wise in that sense I, well, I mean, okay. oh i was about to be like damn so he like put you he in looked like yet he looks like a, a brunette version of that <laughs> a brunette version of jared so for me like i see a guy like that and i'm like uh-uh nope that's my dad not into it gross not into it i yeah, hope he didn't also band, play with like pop- so puppets old. you're right totally <laughs> hair bands are so old now that like they have adult children that's a pretty scary reality yeah. yeah, I love I love me a good like rock mullet though. <laughs> not a regular mullet, not a regular mullet. I just want to say that for everyone. I I just yeah no can't do it. <laughs> Mustaches as well, not for me. Yeah. So on that note, Liz is gonna go for a hike because the sun is setting. <laughs> I am. I think I'll have a good by the time I get in the woods. I'll have a good like. 40-ish minutes. That's, That's not the worst. I usually like to give myself an hour and a half. But some is better than none, right? And I want yes. you to just, this is the practice for while this, you're on this hike, is I want you to just review all of your successes that got you to the place where you can just rock up at sunset and go for a hike. 
and all the things yeah. you overcame because you had an injury. And then it was, I still have to try to hike and then I've got to get it back. And then all of the things I want you to just replay that the whole time. And then I want you to take a minute at the end of your hike and see how you feel. Like really, really see how you feel about yourself. Where's your self-worth at at the end of that hike? And then do okay. some regular checking in with yourself about your self-worth, like how you feel about yourself throughout other situations. And what it'll do is it'll help you sort of see what situations are improving your intrinsic value to yourself and which are sabotaging it. So focus on my positively good things. My po- positively reinforce myself. Like get a stick and prop yourself up with it. Just be like, my positive <laughs> okay. stick and I'm shoving it right up my butt because it's so awesome. I'm it. Yes. It reminds me of another scene in the labyrinth, but we'll come to that later. <laughs> um. <laughs> my favorite scene is the little tiny worm, the little British worm. It's like, oh, oh hello. No, I said hello. But that's close enough. <laughs> I can hear your husband being like, that was a shitty British accent. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Unacceptable. I don't care. <laughs> He's a one. <laughs> All right. So thanks for tuning right. in. And I hope some of this was helpful, not just for Liz, but for everybody battling with some of these negative thoughts that sabotage their positive behaviors and that you will find a way to tell yourself how awesome you are. And then eventually start to sort of maybe kind of believe that you're at least okay. That was great. I love that. Thank you. No problem. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. And I hope that today's episode made you think a little bit about how you could apply some of what we're talking about to yourself and your behaviors and let us know if you find any of it meaningful. Make sure to tune in for the next episode where we will continue to have somewhat circular conversations that may be helpful. They will be. They will be helpful. (laughs) It's what you take away from them. Wow. The more you know.